man, welcome to the intro No need for introductions All about the world and the world what we discussing Where every single thought that we had came for something So it's funny that we made it when we started here with nothing Gotta open up your mind just to find out why When you lost inside the dark, just gotta turn on the light And no matter what you do, you never run from a fight Because we fighting to be better and that's why we strive Uh, this episode is not sponsored by Celsius, but uh, you know, hit us up. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm here with Onkith, the co-founder and CEO of Macro. I believe we are what Twitter friends. How do we meet? I don't even know. Yeah, I think it was Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, shout out to Twitter. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in tech, join Twitter. Um, but uh, yeah, man, if you want to quickly introduce yourself, we can get started. Yeah. So uh, hey, everyone. My name is Onkith Harathi. I was the co-founder and CEO of Macro. Uh, Macro was a Zoom client meant for creatives, really to to help you bring your full self. Uh, more of your identity and expression over Zoom. Uh, prior to that, I was head of growth at a company called Gamer Sensei. So if you're into esports or uh, competitive video games, um, huge, huge passion and area of interest of mine. There you go, man. Very cool. Uh, were you like a passionate like Zoom user or like what was the what was like the it's like especially like with me and my my company? It's like now I'm like so deep into the personal training world, and it's like. I love fitness, but it was like I was never really like obsessed like a, to be a trainer. So I imagine that when you started this, all of a sudden years later, you're like, oh crap! Now I'm like obsessed with Zoom. Like, what was your what was your feelings towards Zoom when you first started? I guess. Yeah, I would be shocked if like someone was just naturally obsessed with Zoom <laughs> pre-pandemic without being forced to. Yeah. Um, so no, definitely was not obsessed with Zoom. I think that I mean, there's I think obviously a couple ways to start startups and. You hear a lot of us like become obsessed with the problem and then you become an expert and go do it. But this mm-hmm. was very much not that case. Yeah. It was we stumbled onto this idea and then through the process of like building in the space for so long, you become, mm-hmm. you know, naturally obsessed with the problem and the solution that you're building. But no, I mean we weren't we actually started the company and it was actually formerly called Marlowe, um, in early twenty eighteen. And then mm-hmm. we pivoted actually to building on top of Zoom in early um, early to mid twenty nineteen. And then mm, right before sure. the pandemic, we, we had just raised our seed round to kind of go all in on this Zoom angle. Great timing, man. Yeah, I look back at – this was one of my questions I was going to ask you about, like, whether, um, you know, the pandemic was kind of, like, what pushed you to make this. But So, obviously, you made it before the pandemic. Dude, I can go back to, like, April and May of 2020 and just how gross I felt, like, feeling crammed in my little, you know, room, like, doing – zoom drinking games with my buddies like what a weird like using the party app we use for a bit like such a weird time i mean i use zoom all the time still but like just being forced to have to not be able to see people was tough and obviously your guys' company that made that a better experience um so what exactly did macro do like what was the like why were you guys we'll get to the actually the acquisition in a sec but like what made you guys like a fun cool product for people yeah so i think that the it really came down to two things. One was the ability to like just customize your Zoom experience. So the same, like you were physically, it sounded like physically cramped and physically kind of um, constrained in your environment wherever you were taking these video calls. Mm-hmm. And that comes across over video. And on video, your video is cropped into this little rectangle. Mm-hmm. And it's just not a natural way to interact with one another, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think, I'm sure if you've done video podcasts versus in-person pod, podcasts, like they're very different. There's a reason we built the studio. Yeah, I, exactly. I mean, I've, I've had some dope people that have said that they would be down to do a podcast with me but then they're like and then i'm like they're not in austin i was like i can't do it dude because my old podcast we did like 100 episodes over over like zoom honestly yep and it was just the the experience wasn't even close to the same as like the experience we can get here in person so but anyways 
Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think that's exactly the the train of thought, right? Is like there is something that's lacking when you when you're on Zoom, like mm-hmm. whether it's like micro expressions or like just actually having a third dimension to see someone. For sure. And we were trying to bring that back. And I mean, we started pre-pandemic not realizing, you know, everyone is actually going to be forced into this world, and mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to struggle. There are some people who are just like maybe just more video native, right? They're really comfortable yeah. on video. They've been doing it for their entire careers or just with friends. And for those people, it comes naturally and more easy, easier to express themselves and have that sort of personality. But I think like we all have our own personalities over different mediums. Like I'm a different texter than I am a caller, than I am like a talker, than I am like a podcast person, yeah, right? Yeah. I think the medium actually um, – has like a lens or a perspective on our personality and that's why like I think our personalities are multifaceted. I think when we transition to Zoom, people have to figure out like what is my Zoom personality, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how do I translate like what something that just came so naturally to me which was just talking to someone in, in a room mm-hmm. to this this new kind of form mm-hmm. and it becomes even more of a problem when it's like that's the only way I see people. That's the only way I communicate. That's mm-hmm. the only way I work, get work done. Um, and so I think that we stumbled onto this problem and we actually did approach it from a productivity angle at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Like we thought, how do you, can we make meetings better through like more productivity, right? That could, yeah. that, that could have been integrations or nodes, but really through the pandemic, it helped us learn like, no, that's not gonna, like making a meeting more productive with transcriptions and notes and blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, you have a more productive meeting, but you feel just as drained after oh, it. For sure. Like, how do you get this feeling of like, I could have an hour long conversation with you in person and actually leave feeling energized, mm-hmm. but I have, almost ve- like never if very rarely left a zoom call feeling like more energized than i started it with i actually love how you talk about the layers like the texting versus in person versus like the zoom situation like <clears throat> i've i've literally broken up with someone because like in person they were great and then over text which is like you know if you're not living with someone it's 90 percent of your relationship is just a text message they'd just be like same yes Okay, and I, I can't. I can't date this person. I like to put emojis behind them, like just so you know that, like, actually, I'm putting the time and caring into this message. Yeah. And then you do have that other layer. You have the Zoom layer, where it's like your body language is different. You're sitting down. You can't really like you know express yourself. Maybe like you're very like I don't know. Like, use your hands Hand a lot. I, guess. Yeah. I don't know. So got some Italian. Yeah, in you. Yeah, a, little bit, a little bit of this. You know? uh, so that, that's an inter- interesting take, man. I never even like in, like thought about those different like layers, but it's super important to me. So. Yeah, I think it comes also down to, like, the tools you use to communicate are also expressions of who you are, right? Like, if you're, like, you know, blue versus green bubbles, and, like, that's, oh, like, how bottom – exactly. <laughs> like, if, I, if you're green bubbles, I'm not texting you type of thing, right? Um, I'm just – my dad has an Android and will refuse to convert. But, like, if you're on Snapchat versus you do Instagram DMs or, I don't know, like, basically the apps you use are an expression of who you are mm-hmm. because that's, like, every app kind of enables some – level of like your personality to shine through yeah, absolutely. and people I think gravitate towards the ones that like they feel most comfortable and natural on or they're able to develop a new identity right mm-hmm. I think a lot of what is nice about digital is that it lets people create the persona that they want for themselves absolutely and that can be anonymous or that can be pseudonymous or that could just be like really just who they are mm-hmm. um, zoom didn't give anyone that choice right mm-hmm. it was like a corporate decision yeah, like yeah. we are now using this and now this has become our most intimate form of communication for months years or maybe not even permanently mm-hmm. um, so I think macro existed because very similar to like the Apple 1984 like rebellious commercial mm-hmm. like you're using the software because you've been told to do so yeah like actually let's let's make it a personal choice here let's make it now this this software which is like video super intimate like how many people are really comfortable being on camera for hours and hours a day like i would say very few yeah 
like is a very intimate form of communication. Like, mm-hmm. let's make it a personal choice. You're choosing to do this, and like, let's uh, like let you set it up in a way that you feel mm-hmm. most comfortable, and like lets your personality shine. I love that, and, and we'll we'll get to like your how much you guys raise and how what like uh, the exit and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, what what did you do to start? Like, were you doing a bunch of customer testimonials or I mean interviews, just saying like, hey, like. Do you hate do you hate video calls? Like we're gonna fix it. Like what what was that initial process? Yeah. So actually, so we started a we started a company like I said called Marlow, or the product was called Marlow, mm-hmm. um, and it was a Slack bot that just rated your meetings. And how we got onto that was uh, John and I, my co-founder John, um, we were obsessed with the idea of like how do we spend our time? And mm-hmm. we were in business school at the time, like when we started this uh, Harvard Business School, <laughs> like the online one or like legit. Like, <laughs> you know, we were in Boston. We were, we were um, it was actually a, a joint degree program called the MSMBA. Cool. So we were doing like getting some technical knowledge along the MBA, and it was really kind of meant for people who wanted to start companies. Cool. So it was like exactly kind of what we we came in trying to do, but. You know, when you're in school and when you're working and all this sort of stuff, your time is pulled in like a million different directions. Mm-hmm. And you never know, like, is that really a good use of my time? You don't have that Hermione uh, time, time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if that existed, we wouldn't have any of these problems, yeah, yeah. right? It was like, waste of time? Cool, let me just rewind. <laughs> exactly. Um, but we were like, okay, we're spending so much of our time in, like, activities that we end up, like, regretting or mm-hmm. wasting. So let's just rate our meetings. Like, rate our – we actually started rating classes at business school. Uh, and we we send it through the section Slack, and people would just rate how anonymously what they thought of the classes. Got some traction, and the whole kind of goal was like, where do people spend their time at work in meetings? Let's just rate them anonymously. Mm-hmm. And we got probably like thirty thousand people just like organically using Marlow wow, over Slack in like was three it, months. Was it a plugin? Or was yeah, it, like it was a, a Slack bot, right? Cool. So one person would add it to their Slack. It, like Corey Cool sets it up, and then. If I'm in a meeting with you and we could, we had some filters like, okay, only meetings that were more than five people. And at the end of that meeting, it'd be like, hey, Ankit, Corey's using Marlow to measure his meetings. What do you think? Here's an anonymous uh, poll. And basically just like emojis of I'm like really angry face to like neutral face to like smiling face. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this meeting? Very cool. And then we, based on what you answer, we had like some pre-bucketed options you could select from like, why was that meeting not great? Mm-hmm. And it ranged from like, didn't need to be a meeting, not enough um, – Preparation, unclear agenda, uh, no clear next steps, or like somebody dominated the conversation. Gotcha. And that last one was actually by far and away the most often selected reason mm-hmm. that the meeting sucked because somebody just took up all the airtime in it. Gotcha. And that's actually the initial genesis of Macro, which was we were like, okay, we can either try to solve this by like giving you a report after your meeting saying, like, shut the fuck up. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, hey, Ankit, you spoke 85% of that meeting, like, yeah. shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or we could try to solve it in real time. Mm-hmm. And the idea was like, well, what if we had like Pokemon style health bars on top of every single person in the meeting? Mm-hmm. And as you were t- droning on and on, you would effectively be killing the other people. Well, that would stress me out. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> stress me out. I'm like, okay, sorry, keep going, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, but yeah. that's like, that was kind of the point, like, in the moment, could you correct that behavior? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we figured, okay, the only way to do that was we'd have to build our own video conferencing app mm-hmm. and get people to switch away from Zooms and Google Meets, or we build on top of the, their infrastructure and create mm-hmm. this like layered experience on top. Yeah. And that put us down a rabbit hole of actually building the first third-party Zoom client, and then actually enabling a lot more customization and expression mm-hmm. features. That's what I was going to ask you: is like, how do you? A, how do you go about building a third-party Zoom client? And then B, like, I guess there's three questions. B, did they just let you or did you just be like, we're going to do it and you can't stop us? And then C, um, why hadn't there been other ones at that point? A lot of questions. Yeah, a lot of questions. Okay, so how do you go about building a third-party Zoom client? <laughs> That's a good question. So when we started, 
um, the Zoom developer ecosystem within its infancy. I think mm -hmm. they had just launched uh, their Mac OS native SDK, cool. they had their OAuth SDK. Kind of like a Chrome store, essentially, kind of situation where you can like build Chrome apps for Chrome situation. Kind of. I, I think it was like they were just starting to open up like mm -hmm. how the Zoom app actually worked, mm -hmm. but like in very segmented or maybe even fragmented pieces. Yeah. Our engineering team was able to somehow, like I think to this day, it was still kind of like a mini miracle, like string together three different parts of their developer ecosystem mm -hmm. to create a third-party Zoom client. And by that I mean, we basically created a standalone app that you download and it's called Macro. And you could use that, you click on any Zoom link, it would open through Macro. And you mm -hmm. never have to leave Macro, Very you're in that meeting. And everyone else on that meeting can still be on Zoom. And they see you and you see them and it just works. Crazy. Um, Do they see you from like what, do they see like your macro features, or do they do they do you only see those? Like, how does that work? So it's a, a little bit split, right? So like the UI itself of macro, only you get to see yeah, because yeah. we can't control what anyone else's UI on Zoom looks For like. Sure. Yeah, but yeah. your video feed of like how you look in macro, and like we had a bunch of shapes and filters and that sort of stuff mm -hmm. that came through to other people on Zoom, so they'd see gotcha. you and your stuff. But the second question, like how did Zoom kind of feel about this? They actually reached out to us and saying like, how did you do that? Like, they're like, how did you figure out how to do this? Because they hadn't even, I don't know if they had not realized it was possible, but they definitely had not enabled that as like a core use case. For sure. And we actually helped them like saying, okay, here's exactly what we did. I mean, we could have been coy about it, but mm. I think that would have led to them, like they could easily have shut us down. Oh, for sure. So we were just like, yeah. here's exactly how we did it. This is what would have made it a lot easier to do. And like, we want there to be more of these type of apps that come about. Very cool. No, it's funny. Like as a you know app developer myself, like we've li we've had features that I didn't even know were live yet, and someone's emailed me like, "Hey, like what do I do with this button?" And I was like, "Dude, I didn't even know that feature was out. Like, how did you do this?" <laughs> yeah. Because like, like, yeah, you tell me what we should do with that button. Yeah, that's hilarious, man. Wait, and then what was my last question? Um, what? So is, why wasn't there other ones? It was just so early in that like that. Like phase, I guess. Yeah, it was early, and now there have been a couple that have actually gotten pretty big. I think class.com is like one of the biggest, and it's like mm. for the teaching use case. Oh, gotcha. But I think, like, in general, I think it's pretty hard to do. And I'm not mm. saying that, like, you know, it's like rocket science, but it is like a trade off of are you really trying to customize Zoom? Because mm. if you do that, if you're really trying to customize the whole UI of Zoom, yeah. you don't get anything for free, right? You have to kind of rebuild a lot, you have to rebuild chat breakout rooms, reactions, all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Because now the, the bar for what's like like table stakes in a yep. video conferencing app 100%. is so high. 100%. Like people want raise hand and breakout rooms and like um, sharing only portions of your screen and not your whole screen or not yep. just an app, right? Like the bar is so high that you have to rebuild a lot of this functionality mm -hmm. for people to even want to start using your app before they even get to your core value proposition. 100%. So most yeah. people are like, no, we do want to customize Zoom, but actually, 99% of the Zoom UI is fine. We kind of want to add something to the side. Mm -hmm. And you could do that without customizing Zoom and Zoom released what they're calling their Zoom apps that effectively put an iframe on the side of their Zoom panel window. Gotcha. So they're now more recent solutions that don't require like, you know, doing all of that. Yeah, but yeah. our value is like, we actually want to change Zoom itself, gotcha. right? It's not just the side thing to Zoom. It's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I think you put a good, good point there that I, I tell every single founder that I talk to is that like, for example, our old app was a B2C, and we had a social media component. And then for years, I was trying to push it and push it and push it. And then one day, I was like, why would I ever use this versus Instagram or Twitter? Like, why would I ever post in the WeStrive social feed when all my friends are in other apps? Yeah. And, like, with that Zoom situation, it's like, dude, you can't just 
rebuild Zoom because you're going to get every complaint in the world like, I can't raise my hand, I can't do this, I can't do that. So like, it really does become a standard when you're trying to like replicate a current competitor. And even in our space, like, there are so many times we'll add a feature as an all-in-one tool and I'll see people complain instantly because they're like, oh, why can't this feature do this because this competitor does that? And you're just kind of like, dude, come on. Like, just yeah. be happy that I have a feature. But people really expect the bare minimum at this point, which is which is Zoom. Yeah. Um, so how did you guys go about, like, uh, you know, raising $5 million? Congrats. You know, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. It was a little bit – it was like 4.8, but, yeah, a little bit less get, than 5. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, very, very cool. I mean, at, at that point – I mean, that is $200,000, but that's – you know, at that point, it's 4.5. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Um, so we raised from – we got first mark general catalyst and yep. some other VCs and angels. So like when you're going into those pitches, what are you saying? Like, we're going to change zoom. Like this is going to be, no one's going to use Zoom anymore. They're going to use us. Like, why are they giving you guys $4.8 million? You know? Yeah. So, so the $4.8 million was raised over two rounds. So the mm-hmm. first 500 K was actually like a pre, like a pre-seed round mm-hmm. led by underscore next to you. We were in Boston at school. They were kind of, you know, core Boston VCs cool. believed from us, believed in us very, very early. Um, and that was like we had just started to build Marlow, the Slack bot, and mm-hmm. started to use it with our within our classes. Cool. So that was like, let's start to scale, hire full time engineers, even when we were students, but we were we were very not good students. We yeah. were basically running this company full time, um, and then launch into companies and get those meetings. Mm-hmm. The four point three million seed round led by. Um, General Catalyst and First Mark, and also Underscore and and uh, the Angel investors too. That was the story. There was we've built Mar- Marlow. It has thirty thousand users across a couple hundred small and huge companies. Yeah. We've seen all this data, and the data is telling us like the meeting UI needs to change to stop things like someone dominating the conversation. Mm-hmm. And we basically pitched them on this vision of like we've built something. We know how to build things. We know how to get them to like some decent scale already. Yeah. Like we have a ton of data that's like pretty uniquely ours. No one else kind of has this data of like exactly why these certain meetings suck. And um, we're going to use that to build this. Cool. And it was kind of like a, we've done this, give us money to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And this thing, we didn't even have the name macro. We were calling it super chat at that point. Nice. But we still had the vision. We had the mockups of like this zoom UI, like augmentation layer mm-hmm. and like how it would solve all the core pain points that were coming up from our unique data set. Mm-hmm. And that was a pitch of like, We've done this. We're t- a, like a tested team. Mm-hmm. We spent your, you know, of that 500k. I think we probably spent two, 300k. We yeah. spent that effectively. Here's what we've done with it. Here's what we've de-risked from the business. Here's what we've developed in terms of our vision. Mm-hmm. Now we need a lot more money to go and do this other thing. Yeah. Um, and that's a little bit of a tough pitch. Like a lot of companies will be like, "We've done this. It's working. We want it to work even more. Give us money to like pour fuel on the fire." Right. For sure. And maybe that happens more from like seed to Series A. But mm-hmm. for for us, the story was. No, actually, like we've done this one thing. Give us money to do this kind of separate thing, mm-hmm. but using the insights that we got from the first. That is interesting too, because you're like saying, "Hey, we're crushing this on Slack. Now we're going to raise a bunch of money and then crush this on Zoom, and we're going to get rid of the Slack thing in general." So that's totally, kind of, that's a really, that's a really big jump to convince investors to put that much money in. Yeah, um, when you're basically like a awesome add-on tool for two completely different tech giants. Yeah. Um, so I mean, props to you for raising the money. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, the platformers question just comes up every single time, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like. There is no like silver bullet answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Platform risk is 100% real. Yeah. Uh, it's partially some of the reasons that we ended up selling. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't, like when you tie your entire business to somebody else's platform, mm-hmm. their decision making, their pace, their security concerns, mm-hmm. all will affect like the core fundamentals of your business mm-hmm. without ha- you having any sort of control. It's terrible. Dude, I, 
the I don't lose sleep a lot. I mean, actually, I do just because I can't shut my brain off. But like, <laughs> the times where I've been up till seven in the morning, sweating in my bed, is when Apple will randomly send us an email, and it'll, I have like I literally have PTSD because I launched my first company and they pulled it off the app store during our launch party and I, I had no control since so we had we had shut down the company all this stuff so like uh i get an email from apple and it will say like oh we you there's an error in your upload and i'll literally start instant sweat instant yeah. sweat because you can't control it yeah if zoom if zoom one day was like hey man actually like we don't like this Gone. Yeah, we're fucked. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> is like we just return the money and be like, okay, cool. Yeah. Why don't we figure something else out, right? Yeah. That's why I get your your situation to exit. You're like, I mean, we probably could keep growing this and growing this, but like, dude, we, you know, we're gonna take it when we can because like you never know what they're gonna do. Um, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, like to to Zoom's credit, they were for how big that company is and like mm-hmm. all the changes that they had to go through to the in the pandemic. Yeah. Like, they did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. at like scaling their own product right oh, for sure and oh, yeah. i think that like their ecosystem their developer ecosystem was very much like a secondary concern mm-hmm. but it started it started to become and it's i think continuing to become like more of a primary concern uh and they did everything they could to support us like mm-hmm. i think that they were super encouraging of like listening to our feedback um trying to get like our core problems solved for other people because we were kind of like if you look at uh, Nitin, one of our first engineers at Macro, he like basically like wrote all the the big questions and the big threads on like those Zoom developer forums. Like he was hitting oh, all these cool. issues of like, hey, the SDK actually doesn't work here. Here's like a workaround. Mm-hmm. Like before even the Zoom devs found it, right? So nice. he was asking like the tough questions and essentially like pa- we were paving the road for all the people to hopefully come after us mm-hmm. so they didn't want to have to hit these issues. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I think that like kind of transitioning to hey why why sell it was a lot of the reason was the platform risk mm-hmm. and n- not that they would shut us down they loved us yeah, yeah, i think sure. to this day they actually offered to um invest in our next series a like if we we're going to raise that round Very cool. but really there were changes that they were making on the security standpoint which i get why they were making them mm-hmm. but it would kind of hinder our bottoms up growth model mm-hmm. and the pace that they were developing and adding features to the sdk that we every single day more urgently needed was mm-hmm. too slow for us to feel conviction and like, yeah. yes, continuing to build 100% of our business on them was the right decision. For sure, for sure. Did you think at any point, like, because obviously you were acquired by a different company, but did you think that like Zoom at any point was gonna be acquiring you guys or is that never really on the table? I mean, so when you choose to build your company on top of uh, another company, mm-hmm. you immediately limit the amount of options, hella, exit they options. They have hella leverage. Yeah, they do, right? Like, because yeah. like you're you unless you like just go for pure acquire, hire, right? Like, mm-hmm. talented team can go pretty much anywhere. You have yeah. a lot of options, mm-hmm. but if you're like, no, I want my tech to be worth something, or I want someone to acquire us from some, like attribute some value to the thing we've built for the last like number of years, yeah. then like your your subset of companies who would actually be interested are super small, for sure. right? And for us, it was like literally probably a handful of companies, like less than a handful of companies. Well, were you were you going out there reaching out for an exit or like you just kind of got an email one day kind of a thing? So it wasn't necessarily like an email one day, but like throughout the journey of building Macro, we had a couple of like people reach out mm-hmm. and a lot of those conversations we would just kind of brush off, end it early. There are a couple that like when they reached out or we just had like kind of a mutual connection, we were talking for another reason. Mm-hmm. Like we explored it loosely, but then it was like they were either doing stuff in the video space that was like kind of very different than synchronous or mm-hmm. – um, 
stuff that was like more social or less social and we're kind of we were in this interesting spot of like we are team and company oriented but like more personally kind of more consumery um, feeling in that enterprisey space, yeah. so it was either kind of like a not worth a discussion or um, not really a fit. Like we would not want to work at this company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with mm-hmm, the company that bought us, so Phil Libin's, um company that came out of the his Altered Studio, that was more of like actually we share a common investor in General Catalyst, gotcha. and they had raised a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Like at the time yes. where we were like just kind of. Um, preparing for our launch mm-hmm. they announced their 100 million series b from yeah, I saw that, yeah. from softbank and sequoia and and then in that article actually i remember reading this article where they talk about all the stuff that they've been doing with the mm-hmm camera which is effectively like for people who don't know it it's like obs but for the general consumer it mm-hmm. gives you a superpower so you can do a ton of crazy stuff on video without without being like a podcast host who knows how to do all the stuff exactly. right yeah. like in that article the reporter asks phil like hey what are you going to do with all this funding and the, the obvious answer is like grow scale hire more teams but he also talked about specifically zoom and saying like they had built this great camera input into zoom Mm -hmm. and they were thinking about like building like you know full full end-to-end like application and so i'm like okay these people might just start start to become our competitors like maybe they launch their own thing and i had actually talked to phil maybe at that point a couple months prior Mm -hmm. and quentin clark actually our investor general catalyst who also um you know, was that General Catalyst when Phil was there, kind of reconnected us. We got to talking, and I was just curious, asking Phil, like, hey, like, I saw this this little line in your article for your funding announcement, like, how are you thinking about that? And he basically said to me, like, no, they just raised the money. They didn't have the team to, like, the, the, their team was core focused on, like, the, their camera application. Sure. Aggressively hiring. They didn't have any of the tech built and or, like, maybe the team expertise to go in and build a Zoom application. Mm-hmm. They were thinking about doing it. And that sl- that conversation kind of slowly like, turned down to like wh- like should we do this together For right sure. like do we yeah. come and like bring our tech over um, and like enable this kind of future that they were building towards and mm-hmm. really kind of have a close end on the Zoom ecosystem from both asynchronous communication asynchronous communication both standalone and also <clears throat> like dependent on Zoom. Very cool. And how long is that like? Um negotiation process like were they kind of like we're going to buy you for x amount um and then we're good to go or were you guys kind of go back and forth for months what was that like um no there's some back and forth but i mean in general i think that like like the positions that we were this was uh, keep in mind that this was like kind of mid to end of 2021 so like market is still like really hot right now oh, tons of capital really yeah, yeah, yeah right sure. so like there was not and then we had of the 4.3 million that we had raised um almost like a year year and a half prior we had more than three and a half still in the yeah, bank chilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah so it's yeah. like there was no urgency on our end like we were like okay even if we were like okay we don't feel confident in zoom anymore mm-hmm. we had money to go and pivot and do other things mm-hmm. right so it wasn't like a end all be all yeah but the conversation progressed and they, they threw out a number and we actually felt like that was actually quite fair mm-hmm. given like we had macro in a closed beta for about a year and yeah. in August or September of 2021, we were going to launch it publicly. Mm-hmm. And this was August of 2021 that we had even started talking with, with yeah. Phil. Um, we thought the number was fair and then I think we spent more of the time actually kind of and nego- negotiating, I, I wouldn't even say is like the right way to say it because I think they approached it very fairly, recognizing the effort that we had put in and the technology we had built. Mm-hmm. And it was more just like timeline of of kind of those earnouts and that sort of stuff. And we, I would say, within a couple of weeks, we're like on the same page. Very and cool. then the couple months was just lawyers and docs yeah, and yeah, yeah. figuring out who's indemnified or who's on the hook for certain things. And mm-hmm. um, you know, talking with our investors, getting everything signed, and that's just like a huge pain in the ass. But I'm glad that it, like you know, I think it needs to happen for like legal reasons of 
people don't want to be stuck holding the bag and not knowing what the bag is type of thing. For sure. So, yeah, it took time, but I think after talking with our investors and other people out, outside of the space kind of retrospectively, it was a very fast process. Like, For sure. we didn't, we weren't rushing it per se, but we were also just like, it is kind of, when you go through that process, one, if you haven't told your team yet, you kind of feel this like split personality of like, mm-hmm. like you need to put on the face of like, no, we're so building towards this stuff and like we're, we're doing all the right things and we're gearing it for our public launch. Mm-hmm. When you know this other process is happening mm-hmm. and it's maybe not sure enough that you want to tell your team just yet mm-hmm. and distract them and like get their hopes up or whatever that could do emotionally without like taking your eye off the off the prize. Yeah. But then you also have to play this role of like you're actually, you're splitting your personality, your time, your energy, your efforts. Yeah, that's tough too, man. It's like it's kind of like, well, why should we launch this feature if we're gonna be sold in two weeks? You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, I mean, we we didn't even feature our whole product, and we actually yeah. did. We publicly launched September of twenty twenty one, and by that point, we already had like like docs being started and stuff, and the acquisition ended up closing uh, in early November of twenty twenty one. God, is so, that a, is that stressful? Two months, you're like, okay, well, what if we get like ten users and then they pull out of the acquisition? You know. Yeah, I think that for them, like, to, to, to be very, very honest, right, like, mm-hmm. when we had started the discussions, like, it was never about how much usage macro got. Yeah. It was really just about, like, the team, like, who, who it is that, like, is actually coming over and, like, building it with, with the expertise that we had. Mm-hmm. And then the technology, like, the fact that they could, mm-hmm, and their employees, and they, they had a bunch of people on their team download and try out the app and see what actually the product did, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't like they weren't buying a business, like we didn't have a business, right? And what I mean by business is we didn't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of users or paying customers or anything like that. Like we were, we had a ten thousand person closed beta that we were running, mm-hmm. and we we're just launching it publicly. Yeah, yeah. And they weren't, you know, doing that to buy those users or buy that as like a marketing list. They weren't. And I think that that's like we're very clear about like what's the, where's the value lie in here, and it's like the tech and the team. Yeah. Um, and there's no like like business and revenue and other stuff that they're acquiring alongside it. So I think that there wasn't pressure on like how well the launch goes. Obviously the better the launch goes, it's just like it would feel good like for all the effort we had put in. Um, but it's still stressful because acquisitions can fall off and fall apart in like a moment's notice, right? Either of our boards could have said something or been like, ah, no, it's not worth investing in this right now or this is not the right time or whatever it is. And so, yeah, you, you're basically like hedging – of like getting really excited about what the future may hold either way, right? You have to still be excited about your, at the end of the day, it's your company and you still need to run it whether or not you're getting acquired or not. Um, but you also want to feel excitement about the direction that you're leaning towards, which is like an acquisition discussion. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've had so many people on the podcast that have like had last minute acquisitions just fall through and then they have to just kind of go, they have to just restart their mindset and go back into the table like, okay, now we're back, we have to build this company. Uh, so I'm glad that that wasn't the situation for you guys. Um, did you see user growth in those first few, like because like you're like you said you're kind of doing both sides of the coin where you're trying to like grow this new product you just launched, but you're kind of like eh, we're probably gonna get bought within three weeks. So yeah. did you, were you guys growing? Like do you have users? Like what was the situation there? Yeah, after we launched, like we put a ton of effort and money into our launch still, mm-hmm. and um, I think it was like we had done two launches at Macro one like just showcasing the product as like going into like opening the beta yeah. and then closing it after we hit some cap of like we can only kind of deal with this much feedback yeah, sure. um, and that was an awesome launch and I think the next launch we did was like it was it was everything that macro kind of like we unearthed and defined as it's kind of 
culture and mission yeah. in that last year, right? The whole mission of like bring your full self, unleash creativity, your personality, your develop your identity on Zoom. Like yeah. that was developed in that year of being going from closed in that closed beta. And I think that the launch and the content that we were able to put out around it was like so truly ours that we were we, there was never an option to not launch it, right? Even if yeah. the acquisition like was an earlier time frame or whatever, we were going to launch it cuz like I think that for the amount of effort that the team put in, like it was the world deserved to see it. For sure. um, and yeah, it was awesome. Like, I think we stayed up all night, did the whole product hunt launch thing, like saw the people rolling in, the u- users downloading it, all the feedback pouring in, all the support from the, the tech community and our existing and early users. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was it was an awesome moment. So, and so they were, well, I love that, man, first of all. Like, I know, I know I've done a few product hunts myself. I know that. Product hunt is a game in and of itself. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah. Um, what, uh, so they were, so you guys all got acquired, right? Um, it's like the whole the whole team, or just you two, like two founders, or who? No, so the, our whole team uh, was. We had some contractors that unfortunately weren't part of it, but the the whole team moved over to. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And so, what was over the term? Like, how many years did you have to work there? What was your role once you worked there? Like, are you just kind of like moved over, and then you're like, okay, I'm full time on macro, kind of a thing? No, so the it was always with the intention that macro was not going to be run as a side business unit. I think Phil has his perspective, which I agree with when companies are brought over and then just kind of left to run in their little silo, mm-hmm. like they're not the core focus of the actual larger organization. They're, they may, like sometimes they are successful and they can kind of be run independently, but we never want it to be this like afterthought or like side quest for the company, right? We want it to be in the day-to-day and the company wasn't big enough. Like when we joined, I think mm-hmm, it was like 100, 120 people. Gotcha. Um, we wanted to be part of the main discussion, like why we were all there showing up for work every day. And so it was never like macros kind of be run as its own business unit. It was really actually like we were you know, planning on integrating the tech and like being part of the core team. Yeah. Um, I know we had our roles defined and I was like a product lead for the mm-hmm, like, um, like basically what we were at the time calling the mm-hmm product and we had the mm-hmm TV product, which was separate. And um, yeah, the team kind of moved over into their respective design or engineering or um, really, actually, that was a design, engineering, or product were like three core functionalities that we had. Very cool. Wait, how, how long were you there for? So there's, there's no, there was no like, oh, you must stay, like, I don't know, type of thing. Yeah. But there was like a two year kind of period where it was like, okay, so there's some port- portion that was paid out immediately uh, when the acquisition closed, and then at a one year and a two year. And I'm currently at the year and like year and like three months type of mark and oh, cool. so like two years like so I'm still employed by I actually mm-hmm. did not know that so yeah yeah, that. yeah yeah so then two years will be in November very cool wait what uh so is it still called macro by mm-hmm, or what's it called so macro at, at, like a couple months after the acquisition was sunsetted as the goal was to transition a lot of the macro tech into mm-hmm. and for various reasons some of them being the same zoom security reasons yeah. like we've held off on releasing that product to the public and we're actually mm-hmm. just early as early as this year like continuing to invest investigate and figure out like what's the fastest and the best way we can bring that product to market gotcha. but there's also a lot of other projects that like we as our, the core macro team and then other people have like started to be pulled onto. So okay, so you you build you build macro, you get acquired by, mm-hmm, and then for the past year and a half, like macro's kind of been like on pause, well not pa- not on pause, but kind of been like hidden until you're comfortable with security, all that kind of stuff, releasing it back to the public essentially. Yeah, and it, it, the goal is not to ever release macro in the same way that it was, right? Like, yeah, it'll be mm-hmm. like a part of the mm-hmm, exactly, like, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. part of that macro technology was like a macro 
macro was a Zoom client. Can we yeah. bring that like Zoom client technology to mm-hmm, gotcha. people could have their meetings within? Mm-hmm, and so they're creating all their asynchronous video mm-hmm. um, and synchronous calls, whether that be in mm-hmm, or a Zoom call, all from one app. So that's like everything video. Yeah. Um, because that's what the mission of mm-hmm, which really appealed to us, which is it's all about communication superpowers, right? And yeah. I think that if you talk, think about what we talked about earlier in the podcast around the way you communicate, like every app you use puts a lens on your communication and we're trying to help people communicate in their best way and either let the best parts of them shine through that they want to shine through or even help them improve how they communicate whether that be live speaking public speaking on zoom calls in recorded video whatever that medium is like video and audio are here to stay as like formats for how people communicate and we're here to try to help them do that better very cool I, I notice I say mm-hmm a lot when I'm talking. I'm like, I need to stop because we're saying, we've said it mm-hmm like 80 times. Yeah. And I know I'm going to go back, have to go back through when we do our shorts and reels and like correct the way they spell mm-hmm automatically from the AI. Yeah. It's going to be so fucking annoying. But well, so that was actually like a, a interesting thing. Like I, I always ask Phil like, hey, why is it called mm-hmm? And I think publicly like Phil had saw, said like, in, in, for some funny reasons, like he wanted a name that people could say when they're eating, right? Because you yeah. think about streamers and using kind of some, some, some software like OBS, right? Like mm-hmm. they're eating food. It's like easy to just say, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. But really, I think the real reason he's, you know, later said this, why it's named mm-hmm is it's kind of just like a default agreeable term. For like sure. when you say mm-hmm, you're just agreeing with something. You're like nodding when you're saying it. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like a yes. And it's an ex- and it's an, uh, it's a positive um reaction and i think that that's exactly kind of the ethos but it, it is a tough name to say and like yeah. people are like wait what's the name of your company or like where do you guys work now yeah. so it is it, it leads to a lot of questions which could be a benefit the way sure. you look at it well and so have you uh do you work close with phil then because I, I didn't know who he was but i googled him and he had like a big old google profile and stuff like <laughs> it looks legit but uh have you worked close side by side with him or like you've been on a couple calls like what's your guys's relationship i guess yeah so we work very closely like phil Phil's a very um, hands-on CEO. I mean, the company's also not big enough for, like, you know, the CEO to be some kind of nebulous figure who's not yeah. really involved in the company. Um, but, no, he's, he's involved in the day-to-day, like, uh, involved in a lot of, like, the product decisions, um, design decisions come from Phil. And, like, we're always kind of talking back and forth of, like, what are the priorities here? And I think the priorities shift from, like, also where, where is the core focus of development needed, whether it's on, like, certain parts of the ecosystem of mm-hmm. But when it comes to, like, the mm-hmm, um, app, which is like, right now we have, like, downloadable apps that you can also use with Zoom or, like, create your own asynchronous content within. Gotcha. And so that's kind of the product area that I, I take over. And he and Gabe, the, the design lead, and then Seth, the CTO at mm-hmm, like we're all kind of talking in meetings and figuring out like, hey, what's product prioritization? And he has a very loud and active voice in that because he does have like the experience of yeah. creating uh, a company like Evernote that was used by that many millions of people. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, and yeah. so understanding consumer behavior, he does have an act for it, right? And I think that he'll tell you that he has a ton of idea uh, of ideas, and he'll think they're all great. And like a part of it is like our job to figure out like what are the great ones, what are the not so great ones, and yeah, like yeah. make those right decisions. And have you learned a lot from working with like he was the CEO of Evernote, right? Uh, have you learned a lot from working with someone like that, CEO to CEO? Yeah, I think that, like, I mean, some of the biggest things I've learned is, so I've never really worked in a large company before. Actually, mm-hmm, even though it's quite small by general standards, is the largest company I've ever worked for. There's still 100-plus employees. There's still a lot of people. Yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but you look at, yeah, never had, like, the, the Facebook or, like, any of the Fang type of experience. But um, I think you see a lot of different types of leadership styles, a lot of different types of 
uh, organization reporting styles. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it's interesting to learn and see how other companies are run. Because yeah. when you're running your own company, like it's really hard to even imagine like a completely hundreds different of world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundreds yeah. of employees are just a different way to work. Yeah. And like this company's set up so differently by virtue of like it also being like almost 10x the scale of macro. For sure. Um, For sure. But yeah, you just learn a lot from like different company environments, both good and bad, and like what we could have done better and what we could have, what we can do better now. And so yeah. there's a lot of learnings. Is there stuff post exit that you, whether it's working with Phil or just like through, you know, this experience being at, uh, mm-hmm, is there things that you, look back on it and you're like maybe with macro we could have done this and it would have gone better like obviously an exit's awesome but like is there things that you think you could have improved on retrospectively totally totally I think there's a lot um, that we could have done differently especially in like the like go to market and um, just how we approached like choosing what to build at macro I think that a lot of what we did was like gut feel right like we we weren't you know doing a ton of data and I think you do this as an early stage startup like you're not doing a like 10x amount of market research and then just like making one decision you're doing a lot of like what you feel like is intuitive right yeah. putting it out there seeing how people react it. Yeah, and iteratively um, working I think that actually working with Phil has given me even more confidence to be like no you actually you're maybe even too early to listen to people and you just yeah, yeah. do whatever the fuck you think is right yeah, yeah. and you'll very quickly realize if you're right or wrong I think we spent a lot of the time at macro debating on what's that line of like when should we listen versus when should we go with what's right and I yeah. think yeah that's a lot of like what I've kind of experienced so far. Dude, but my, the best quote I've ever gotten on this podcast, I interviewed John, the founder of Wander, and he, he discussed, um, and I totally support what he said. I was like, he discussed reversal versus irreversible decisions. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you're discussing what, like, fucking, you know, soda you have in your office, just fucking pick an option and you can change it later. But, like, if you're deciding, or, like, even, like, a, a feature, what color it is, just pick it and you can change it later. But, like, when you're deciding like irreversible options like letting an employee go that's when you should actually take the time to think about shit but like yeah. when it's basic things like features just put it out there early on and then you can fix it you know what I mean? yeah um, and I was like I kind of I wrote that one down I was like that's pretty good yeah um, I think that like basically like anything that you do to make your decision making process slower exactly like yeah. there's a trade off right like at some point it's worth like you said taking time but there's an inflection point where it's yeah. like now the extra time is actually decreasing mm-hmm. like, for sure we're going, we're going back to uh, uh, Marlowe yeah, there yeah, was, exactly. Was, was this worth our time? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. it worth our time, right? And so there's always a trade-off. You'll never know exactly what that right spot is. Yeah. But in startups, like time, money, which are effectively the same thing in startup world, yeah, that is like your executioner. Mm-hmm. So speed really determines everything. And the faster you can do, like you can make high-quality hypotheses and test them, and you could be right 90% of the time, or sorry, you could be wrong 90, 95% of the time. Yeah. But as long as you're doing enough tests that you get five to 10% right, yeah. and, or you figure out what's right there, that's all that matters. 100%. So what, what kind of a CEO, like, what are you good at as a CEO? What were you bad at as a CEO? Yeah, so I think that like, this is a good question. I think I was, as a CEO, like the, the biggest thing I think I did poorly at Macro was setting like a long, long-term vision. Gotcha. Like, I think it's asked for a lot from VCs and your pitches and figuring out like, what does this company look like in five or ten years? To me, back if I rewind myself back to that time, I could not imagine what five or ten years looked like yeah. because the world was changing so rapidly. Like you saw during COVID and the pandemic, like how quickly things changed, how many new tools are coming up every day. Yeah. Like the fundamental ways that we communicate were being rewritten every like month it felt like 100%. it was impossible for me to imagine like what did macro look like in five or ten years yeah 
And so in some ways, I just didn't have that like true North Star of like, what are we working towards? Like, and that is super helpful in making decisions of like, like if I had a North Star and it was like along this vector and we had a decision that we were debating and it could have been irre irre irreversible or at least like a long-standing decision that maybe you could reverse, but it would take a lot of effort. Yeah. Like a North Star gives you a framework of like what moves you there faster, better, more effectively. Exactly. Right? When you don't have that, and like I think I was great at thinking about like maybe one or two years out mm -hmm. because like, I could imagine that like future in that level of increment granularity. Yeah. And that was like, cool, we have a full roadmap, but thinking like so far out, like what is, what is the vision here yeah. that you could say in one kind of pithy, concise sentence? For sure. Didn't have that. So you're thinking more micro than macro, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was holding that joke in for like four minutes. I was, yeah. like, I was like, finish your story. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, that's it, that's yeah. it. Did you just cut all my, whatever I said out, just like yeah. maybe that. Just like, just fast forward it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Very cool. Um, what what advice do you have for like entrepreneurs that are starting off? Like, is there is there things that like I mean I've asked you this question like four ways in different four different ways basically, but like, is there things that like you know they can do to like kind of accelerate their their early growth or like things that you would go back and change easily? Yeah, um, I would just say like have conviction in yourself. I mean, I think a big a big problem that I and I think a lot of startup founders deal with is not imposter syndrome as it's kind of typically been described at least to me yeah. imposter syndrome is like you feel like you're, you don't belong where you, you kind mm -hmm. of yeah. are like you somehow made it here but you don't really deserve it for sure I think it's more about like almost a self-confidence thing mm -hmm. than imposter syndrome which is like VC's job is VC's jobs especially when you're pitching is to like question you and like put holes to through all you your ideas syndrome, right? basically. exactly right? Like that's yeah. effectively what they're doing they're like oh you didn't think about this or like what's your answer to this and is it good enough or yeah, not yeah, right yeah. um through that, like, yes, your confidence will be shaken. I think that it's, like, very rare for you to come out of that process not having it, like, been altered in some way. But then even after fundraising, right, like, all these questions exist about, like, will this business work? And you'll have days where you're mm -hmm. like, this is the next fucking big thing. If, yeah, if we sure. do this, like, we're fucking unstoppable. Yeah. And you'll have days where, like, I don't think this is it. Like, this is, nothing's, like, working out. Like, mm -hmm. I, there's a gut feeling, like, a sinking stomach, like, well, maybe we need to pivot. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, like, listen to yourself more than anybody else yeah. right and I think it's really helpful when you have a co-founder to like talk those those things through mm -hmm. but really like how you're feeling internally matters more than anybody else because no one else knows your business they can like chat shit from the sidelines and like say what this they, they think this looks like a look at these competitors and how they're growing or not growing but like at the end of the day like if you feel like, oh, this is the right decision, and I, I just feel that way, and even if people are like, oh, but people tried something similar and it didn't work, or yeah. like, that's not good enough, or that's not me a lofty enough vision, like, it doesn't fucking matter. Exactly. Like, do whatever you want. Like, have conviction in yourself. You have the money, like, people bet on you, and like, VCs, especially at this early stage, all they're betting on is you. Yeah. Like, your idea is probably worthless. Your execution is what's gonna determine if your idea is worth anything or not. Um, and. Like it's okay to not do the, everything that they think is okay. It's okay to like make mistakes. It's okay to like purposely ignore other advice coming in and do the exact opposite. Yeah. As long as you feel like that's the right decision. Yeah. Um, and I wish I listened to like our own internal feelings more and like stopped letting kind of outside voices come in and like shake my confidence or shake um, any sort of conviction I had in a direction that we were thinking about. Yeah. And, and one last question here. Um, I'll, I'll move this earlier into the podcast, but. When you guys had your <clears throat> exit conversations, how did your investors feel about that? Were they like pumped to add another exit to the resume? Were they kind of like, I wanted you guys to wait this out. I want to be here for the long run. Like, what was their and – and I know keeping in mind that one of them was also an investor in the company acquiring you. Totally. Yeah. So 
like I'll, I, I'm not going to paint this as any sort of like massive, massive acquisition, like, right? It's, like, like, it's like 200 million. No, 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 right? Like this was like a very mod, like modest, like outcome for us. Yeah. Uh, it was great for the team. I think we, I think every team member like, like financially benefited from this acquisition. Sure. I also still maintain that it was like the right business decision given like the risks of platform and all this sort of stuff. From the investor perspective, like the game that VCs are playing are like, they're not trying to like baseball analogy, even though I don't know really shit about baseball. They're not going for like singles and doubles, right? Yeah. They're going for home runs. Like yeah, yeah. they're they're playing the power law. They make all their money when one of their investments returns 100X mm-hmm. that covers all their losses, right? Yeah. All our VCs were made like, were made pretty much whole and like had some options there of what they could do with their cash. And I think that for them, when they first told them the news, like, hey, we're thinking about taking this, we're kind of in these, these discussions, I think their natural response is like, you guys don't need to take this. Like, you have yeah. money in the bank, you're making solid progress, you're literally just about to launch. Yeah, yeah that's tough. Like, yeah. their goal is like, I mean, they they either get a finite, lower than 100x return that they're shooting for, yeah. which is like a known thing if we take this, or we get a, a, a couple more swings at bat, which yeah. could go to zero, which is probably like going to zero and returning their money are way closer together. And they're effectively X. the same, right? <laughs> exactly. They're effectively the same to these VCs who, yeah. like, they invested a couple million in us. These are multi-billion dollar funds, right? Yeah, like, yeah. so really, like, a 1X, a 0X, even a 2 or 3X is probably, like, the same. Yeah. Versus, like, if they give us, like, the fifth swing, mm-hmm. if we take a fifth swing, right, and it somehow goes to, like, 100X, yeah, yeah. that's what they're playing for, right? Exactly. So, like, you, you know the motivations of each each um, kind of player and, and person on your cap table. But like when we told them our reasoning of like, hey, listen, like we've done these things, we've tested these things, the Zoom risks are here, like, and we really think this is the right decision that also sets all of us up to like reach more people in the future, re- resolve the dependency off of Zoom, and I'll also integrate from just not only an app side, but from the camera side too. Like we, yeah. we laid out all of our reasoning to them. They're like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah, like sure. we get why you want to take it. And I think at that point, they all became super supportive, cool. right? But I think that they also, they need to walk through the same journey that we did and what we were living through every single day because yeah. we were only touching base with them. Some people like maybe once or every other week, but then yeah. other people in board meetings, right? Yeah, from third party, they're like, what the fuck, what do you mean you're selling? And then you're like explaining the actual, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Makes sense. Yeah, and they get yeah. it. And I also think that like VCs aren't there to force you to stay in your company, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, the best ones aren't. Like maybe yeah. some shitty ones are going to force you like, no, fuck you, you're going to work at this company thing and I'm not going to let you get acquired. Exactly. But like they realize that like, if the team thinks it's the right decision, like there's no way that same team is going to be motivated to work on the company exactly. you forced them to stay at. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh, I love it, man. Um, do you have anything you want to leave the uh, the viewers with? Um, download Wee's Drive if you're like a personal trainer. Um, <laughs> download mm-hmm, or, or what are <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, download mm-hmm. I mean, I think that like mm-hmm exists because I think we all could be better versions of ourselves on video. Video's tough. Yeah. I having been on video in the video space for like over three or four years now, like still struggle with it daily. Yeah. And I think that mm-hmm helps you just feel more comfortable, more natural and do fun things on video. I use it in like a much more fun and a whimsical way. Other people use it in like more formal presentations, yeah. but I think it, it gives you like whatever powers you feel like you want on video and to come off in whatever way you want to come off. 100% man. Well, you're killing it on all three of these cameras. So there we go. Yeah. Good sweet. stuff, man. Hey, pleasure to have you on. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. It, man. That's why we strive. Yeah. There we go. I wanted to thank you for watching this entire episode of Why We Strive. Be sure you head to whywestrive.com and subscribe so every Tuesday you can see incredible interviews with some of the best tech founders, investors, and creatives in the industry. Have an amazing day, and don't forget to keep striving.